Well, I thought this is George G and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Wesley Donahue. Wesley, are you ready to do this? I am ready. Let's roll. All right, let's go. Wesley is a sorcerer supreme of political campaigns, issue advocacy, and corporate brand reputation. He's worked with Senator Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, Trey Gowdy. His newest book is Under Fire, 13 Rules for Surviving Cancel Culture. Wesley, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Man, wouldn't that take up like the whole 20 minutes answering (laughs) just that question alone, right? Uh, Personal life, um, 42 years old. I live in Charleston, South Carolina with my wife of 17 years and our three little boys, three, five, six, just turned six last week, three, six, and eight. So uh, living quite the chaotic life, man. Uh, Serial entrepreneur, I own a political consulting firm as well as a corporate brand reputation firm, which is what the book's about. And uh, in my spare time, I'm an endurance athlete. So I spend the weekends trying to beat myself up as much as possible. So that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I like it. Three, six, and eight. I've got uh, two boys who will be six and three next month. So we'll have to compare notes, but (laughs) appreciate that. It's chaos. Crazy. Love the third one, but it's chaos. Chaos. (laughs) All right. So what, what, what inspired you to write the book? So, um, cancel culture is getting kind of crazy in America right now. And you know, at the beginning, it started at a high level, you know, celebrities, politicians, corporations, but, you know, that is what it is. Those people always are going to have a target on their backs. They they get to that level kind of expecting it. They've gotten to that level kind of already enduring some some rough things in life, right? But when it got down to like the normal person, I thought that was a big problem that needed to be addressed. When I say normal people, I'm talking about like small business owner, like you see a lot of restaurant owners got stumbling into trouble, retail owners, um, you know, they got all the way to Supreme Court, like a guy that baked cakes. Uh, you see a lot of things with teachers, principals, police officers, you know, other first responders. And these are people that don't know how to deal with uh crisis communications or public relations. That's just not what they do. And they're finding themselves on the front page of uh, local newspapers or even Fox News and CNN. And like I said, the cake guy, I mean, global news, right? So I wrote a book um, that is applicable to that high level, you know, those celebrities, but really for the guys, you know, down at the bottom who just have no idea what they found themselves in. Yeah. What a, what a terrifying experience to have the mob show up at front of your business or your house with the pitchforks and the burning torches. Yeah, it, it really is, man. And, and I can tell you, I've dealt with this with, you know, big corporations like SeaWorld. And I tell the SeaWorld story in the book, and we could talk about that a little bit. I dealt with this with U.S. senators. But honestly, you know, as a public relations expert, I never thought I'd find myself in this situation. But lo and behold, I did. Got into a Twitter argument, went viral, a um, a certain part of the populace decided to boycott. I own a brewery here in town too. I said I was a serial entrepreneur. I um, had, you know, a staff walkout. I was on the local newspaper for three days in a row. And I tell you, it's a very tough emotional situation to go through when these people are coming after your livelihood, when they're commenting on your wife's Instagram pictures and making fun of the way she dresses your kids and, you know, having your wife cry herself to sleep and you wondering if your business is going to go out of business. And if, you're going to be able to keep your employees employed. And it's a, um, it's a, it's a very emotional thing to go through. And people don't realize this because 
you know, we've gotten to this part in America where people can just yell at these these people on the internet that they don't have to look in their faces, right? They're they're not they're not really human beings. They're just names on a computer, and it's it's created this environment, this divisiveness in America that's gotten pretty bad, man. That was what I wanted to ask you. Is this a change in 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 human in just humanity? Is it that technology has has changed the way that we're communicating? Is it a little bit of everything? Yeah, you know, I always say I like to tell the story of. Um, so I created one of the first Republican digital agencies in the country. And, and I, as an early adopter, I used to sit on all these Facebook and Google panels. They'd fly us all over the country in some of these panels. And I would talk about how the Internet, we had all of human knowledge at our fingertips. And we were able to communicate with anybody in the world. And through the Internet, we were going to tap into the best of humanity and solve all of mankind's <laughs> problems. And then could I have not been any more naive, you know, 15, 20 years ago, because now it's just the opposite, right? It's actually tapped into the worst of mankind. And it, it's really become a place like Twitter. You don't go to Twitter to debate an issue or to talk about an issue. You go to Twitter to yell at people and to demonize them and call each other names. I mean, look no further than the abortion debate right now, right? You are either one of two things on the internet. You you want to kill babies or you hate women, mm. right? And there's, there's nothing in between. There's no nuance in between. There is no logical debate. The people that are pro-life want to yell baby killer at the pro-choicers and the pro-choicers want to yell, well, you want to enslave women, you know, handmaid's tale. And they just want to throw these these names back at each other, man. And it's it's gotten really bad. And all we're told is that we're supposed to live ourselves, live, live our authentic lives and live by our values. And part of that would be communicating those values. But if I run afoul of whatever popular narrative or just if I'm on one side, the other half is going to be mad um, no matter what I probably say. So how, how, how do we reconcile that? How do you think about that? Stay off the internet. No, I, you know, I, I it, that's a very hard question to answer because, you know, I read all the self help books too. I mean, I read 100 books a year and at least 20, 25 of them, these, the same self help books that you read, right? Um, and, you know, it's always be your authentic self and be transparent and you be you. And you, you can't be you anymore because people expect you to be a programmed robot who's always saying the right thing. And the truth is, we're all just humans going through human experiences. And as humans, we screw up. Like for what we say things that we think are funny that might not be funny, or we might say something that's offensive to someone. And we we can't just watch every thought that comes through our mind or every word that comes through our mouths. Uh, but what I say to answer your question is just just know when you go on the internet, you do have a moment to pause before you type. It's not like a conversation like you and I are having right now where you're asking me a question. I have to immediately respond. I don't have five minutes to sit here and come up with an answer, right? Because we're, you got 20 minutes on a podcast. We got to get the question and answer out. But when you're on the internet, you have the ability to just let, just take a break and let's think, is this, this, is this going to get me in trouble? Yeah, to take that pause. Maybe even sleep on it, but we need quick response times, especially on a platform like Twitter. It's fascinating. Yeah. My kids watch a show called Daniel Tiger, right? And he, you know, when you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, kids learn that at two years old, three years old. And I think adults have, have forgotten that. They just get angry and just start yelling at each other. And instead of debating an issue with facts and logic, the immediate response is to start calling each other names. And that that's that's what's caused this. It's what's caused this divisiveness in America anymore. People forgot that we're Americans. We're either you know conservative or liberal, Republicans or Democrats. There's no nuance. There's nobody in the middle. And because of that, it's created this cancel culture. And you know, as a Republican, everybody on my side likes to blame the liberals. And you hear about the wokeness, but it it comes from both sides, man. I mean, I can actually make an argument that 20 years ago when I was sitting in church. Uh, people, you know, conservatives would say, well, go boycott this business because th- what they think is anti-Christian. Well, that actually was probably the beginning of what we now know as cancel culture, probably started from the right. Now, the left might dominate it now with some of this woke talk, but it comes from both sides, man. Nobody wants to talk to each other right now. And it gets a lot of people in trouble, which is why I wrote the book, because when you find yourself in this kind of crises, the, the, the ultimate problem is the mob, as you called it, they don't want to just silence you. They want to literally cancel you from existence. They want to make sure you get fired from your job or your business gets shut down and you can never work again. And you are labeled not as wrong on an issue, but as a bad human being. And that's what's so horrible about this. Just because we disagree. And I, I don't know what your political leanings are, but if you're a liberal, I'm not going to hate you just because you're a liberal. I'm not going to start calling you names just because you're a liberal. We can disagree on facts and go get drunk together afterward. Amen. So I, I, it's a fascinating thing where you look at at what's going on in the world. You say, you know what? It feels like the internet is not real. Twitter's not a real place. And you had employees walk out of a business. You had people protesting. You had people going on and harassing your loved ones on social media. So it is, you know, a very, very real thing that is happening to very real people. Yeah, George, I had a, I have a friend who's got a restaurant here in Charleston who's um, had to fire an African-American employee and that employee went all over Yelp and Google reviews saying, I was fired for this reason, they're racist. You should not go to this place, it's a racist business. And you know, next thing you know, you got a hundred bad Google and Yelp reviews. And you, know, you forget that this is just, a, a business owner. That wasn't why the person w- was fired. And that business owner has other employees that are impacted by these comments too. And that person's just trying to pay the bills. You know, if you're a restaurant owner, unless you own like a big chain, like Guy Fieri or something, most of the guys are just making enough money to pay the bills. You know, these aren't rich people. They're just trying to make payroll, just trying to pay the mortgage or pay the rent. But these people don't care, man. They just want to shut you down. So, the framework, the 13 rules. Tell us how, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge topic and you come yeah. from this experience of, of, you know, cutthroat, well, political campaigns, which I think we all perceive to be very cutthroat it is. And, it and, is. And, 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 and practical business experience and, and you are a human being. So how did you grab a hold of the problem and, 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 and boil it down to these rules? Yeah, so you know, we're in the middle of campaign season right now. We're dealing with a, a number of U.S. senators, including Herschel Walker in Georgia. And um, through all these U.S. senators, Marco Rubio, Tom Cotton, Cindy Hyde Smith, uh, and, and more Congress people than I can even count, 
we've encountered so much of this that we start, it, it becomes like daily routine for us. And then we uh, started helping corporations like SeaWorld, we're the company that came in and saved them after the Blackfish documentary. And eventually it was like, all right, this stuff that we, writing a book is actually kind of hard, by the way, because this stuff just becomes daily habit and you just know it intuitively. Getting it written down on paper is actually not as easy as it would seem. So, uh, you know, after whiteboarding it out for a couple months, uh, I, I really started with the SeaWorld story and try to take what's this one instance that we did everything right? Because, by the way, I don't want to ever be one of those guys that says I do everything right because we've totally screwed up in the past. SeaWorld is an instance where I felt like we did every single thing right. How can we take that story and then break it down uh, and in these specific rules? And then how can those rules also apply to like a small business person or a teacher, right? Like not just for other corporations, how can that apply to just the normal person in their everyday life? I like it. And do you have a, a favorite or is there a rule number yeah. one? I thought, you know, my favorite rule is actually the first rule, and which is a weird one because people typically wouldn't expect it to be in a public relations book. And it's all about mental toughness. Because what I have learned is in almost every situation, the mentally strong people, the people that are able to see the forest through the trees, the people that are able to respond with logic, those people typically succeed. Mentally weak people always dig, 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 and the hole just keeps the hole just keeps getting deeper, and they can't get out of it because they're responding with emotions. And this this crisis hits, and they think they just got to go on Twitter and explain themselves away, and that just gets them in even more trouble. So the the first chapter is is all about how every single one of us should be trying to develop mental strength and that anti fragility before a crisis occurs. And by the way, this isn't just a political or a PR thing. Every one of us as humans are going to go through something really crappy in our lives, right? Every one of us. I mean, we might get cancer. Our spouse might get cancer. We might get a divorce. We might get in a bad car wreck. Parents might die. Parents will die. Whatever it is, each one of us are going to go through something really bad in life. And people that have been able to, as David Goggins says in his really great book, Callous the Mind, are typically able to survive those kind of things. And the same thing comes true when it comes to public relations. And I can give you numerous examples of like Governor Mark Sanford here in South Carolina, who was caught you know, hiking the Appalachian Trail, but was really with his mistress. And then when he got back, just made things worse and worse and worse and worse because he couldn't control his emotions. And it's those CEOs, it's those politicians, it's those celebrities and small business people that are mentally strong, that are able to respond appropriately and logically. You have to do that before any of the other 12 rules even apply. Because I tried to give advice to a CEO for those other 12 rules. And because he was so mentally weak, he couldn't control his own emotions. And the other 12 rules, I couldn't even get to him because he just kept making the problems worse. So it, it makes that makes perfect sense. So being able to is, is, is it a function of being able to detach from the situation? I think so. And that's actually another chapter, too, about having a team in place, because, you know, a lot of times you're so close to the situation that you can't see what's really happening. And, and one of two things can occur. You could think it's not a big thing at all when actually the whole world's burning down around you. And a lot of times it's just the opposite, where you think the world's falling apart, but really nobody's paying attention to this thing. You're just really too close to it. So it's very important to have a team in place around you that's not you to help you respond. You, I, I, this is a very important rule. You are not the best person 
to respond to your crisis. You need outside help because typically you're just too close to it. But going back to that first rule about mental toughness, you have to be mentally tough to even recognize that, that you need someone else because you're just going to be freaking out and, and you're not able to even think, well, I can't do this myself. I need someone else. But I talk a lot about, you know, I started this by saying I'm an endurance athlete. You know, one thing I would do and recommend to everybody is just do really hard things in life. You know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Don't be one of these people that just sits in front of the TV all day and lives a very comfortable life. For me, that's running. You know, I'm literally sitting here in a boot because I tried to run 100 miles and I broke my foot on mile 71. Didn't make it. Doing Ironman, doing really hard things. Maybe that's taking cold showers. I hate the cold. Take cold showers. Meditate daily. Read stoicism. You know, any these kind of things that teach your brain to not freak out when things get tough. I love it. Not how you broke your foot on mile 71 because that's pretty, <laughs> that's, that's pretty crappy. Yeah, especially as the weather's getting cool now and I just want to go run and I can't. But Right, right. Is this a, is this a phenomenon that's going to pass or is it, do you think it's going to get way worse before it gets better? You know, that is such a great question. And I, I never really know how to answer it. Um, let me say this. I first, let me just, one reason I believe this is happening is because America's had it a little too good lately. And I hate to say that because we want prosperous times, but it's a, it's an issue of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? When, when you have your basic needs met and I'm telling you, I'm a welfare kid. I grew up on welfare in section eight housing, single mom, uh, my, my story's in the book, but it's, it's not the best great place. And I can tell you whenever you're worried about how to feed your kids, or how to pay the rent. You don't care what some celebrity tweeted last night. You don't care what Joe Rogan or Dave Chappelle said. Okay. What's happening is now our basic needs are met. And then you go up, you know, our safety is okay. And then most of us have comfort. So what's happening is we're worried about really stupid shit because we all have it so great. And look, if we head into a depression or a recession, which I really don't want, it might actually solve the problem. If people start having real things to worry about, I promise you, if you're in the Ukraine and you're worried about Russia invading your country or your apartment complex getting bombed, you're probably not worried about what Joe Rogan said in his podcast, right? But America has it so good that we worry about just dumb things. So I really think the only way to fix the problem is for America to go into a bad place, which I don't want. But that might be the only thing that solves this. If not, I just see it getting worse and worse and worse for a while. Yeah, I completely agree. When I look around, think about how out of whack our priorities are, the things that we spend our time and our attention on. Um, you know, makes sense. Crazy, right? I mean, it, we just sit in front of a phone all day, just so concerned what these people are saying. Like, really? Is that... You know your life is good, first world problems, when that's what you're worried about. You need to go out there and start running so you can run 100 miles in a row. <laughs> right? <laughs> Do hard things, though. I think that, that is, I think that that's excellent advice. Wesley, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage? And where can they pick up a copy of Under Fire, 13 Rules for Surviving Cancel Culture? Yeah, you can learn about me at wesleydonahue.com. You can engage with me mostly on Instagram. And that's where I play the hardest and um, not on Twitter. And the book, just find us on Amazon, Under Fire, Wesley Donahue. And um, I'd, I'd love for you guys to check it out. It might help you.
Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Wesley your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to wesleydonahue.com. That's W-E-S-L-E-Y-D-O-N-E-H-U-E.com. Find him on Instagram and pick up a copy of Under Fire, 13 Rules for Surviving Cancel Culture on Amazon. And we'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Wesley. Thanks. And until next time, remember... Do your part by doing your best.